Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, and joining me today is filmmaker and the founder of Liminal Arts, Jason R. Gray. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Is that a suitable introduction? That is, is that... That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Very happy with it. <laughs> Is there anything that you've been watching on Netflix recently, Jason? Um, the the most recent show that I watched to completion was is Sense Eight, which I really loved. I think it's the best thing the Wachowskis have done since The Matrix, no question. Uh, and it's also very rare to see optimistic science fiction. Fair enough. And uh, I thought that was really refreshing. So I'm going through Daredevil right now. In preparation for uh, Jessica Jones coming out tomorrow? Uh, I'm not so much in preparation. I wasn't even going to watch Daredevil because I've, uh, I've experienced a high degree of like superhero fatigue. But it was Jeremy Hobbs, actually, who assured me, no, it's actually much – it's not like that. I mean, it, it's very sort of gritty, much more comic book uh, because it's a series, right? It has more freedom. Sure. And, um, and on Netflix on top of that, so yeah. you don't have the constraints of – yeah, no. and written by like former Buffy writers and stuff, and I'm a huge Buffy fan, so I was like, okay, well. Why wouldn't you be? Yeah, exactly. Oh, the movie that we're here to talk about this week is 2013's Upstream Color, directed by, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this right, Shane Carruth? Correct. Perfect. So the ways that Netflix describes this movie are almost as uh, difficult to understand as the movie itself. First and foremost, when you hover over it, it says, Two souls in a timeless, formless cycle. Narrative itself disperses. Submit to paranoia. Or find a beginning. Like that... <laughs> that <laughs> that's just nonsense. I don't understand like, what that... Per- you know, it's like that person was just like, uh, t- you know, trying to figure out the movie for themselves <laughs> live and, and recording their thought process, you know... Uh, I don't understand how that's supposed to sell the movie to somebody who's just sitting on the couch trying to decide on what they're going to watch. But, yeah, it's uh, like four live tweets of the movie kind of spliced together. Yeah. <laughs> really bizarre. Uh, yeah. When you click on the movie, it changes to a man and woman struggle to reassemble their wrecked lives after being abducted and hypnotized with material harvested from a flower. I think, you know, this is a, a great film to, like, you know, address the issue of how a true, a true piece of cinema it almost defies, you know, a tidy synopsis. Because if we could, you know, uh, Kurosawa once said that if you could describe a film, there would be no reason to make the film. Because the reason to make it is the only way to iterate the way that I'm feeling, the way I need to communicate this idea is through this medium, right? So everything else comes after the fact where it's just like, okay, now how do we describe this to someone in words? Right. Like how do you describe a a beautiful song to someone in words? You know what I mean? You play them the song. Uh, The categories that it belongs to according to Netflix are dramas, independent dramas, independent movies, and sci-fi and fantasy, which seems reasonable. Yep. I -hmm. appreciate all those. And it's also described as cerebral. Mm-hmm. Fine, I'll give you that as well. Uh, cerebral to the point that I found that more more this movie than pretty much any other that, that I've covered so far on, uh, on this show, I found that I wanted to see what other people had to say about it. Not necessarily to like find the answers for me, but to, to see what other people had to say about it. Mm-hmm. And there were so many reviews and articles written about this movie that just say, well, don't even try to figure it out because right. it's just beyond comprehension. Right. And I, I'd never seen that strong of a reaction of people kind of refusing meaning mm-hmm. and saying, no, 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 it's an experience. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it, it really is intended to be f- 
figured out and there there is meaning and there's there's logic to it oh there absolutely is i i mean i think you know part of what uh, has happened sort of culturally over over the last you know whatever several decades it's like uh, films especially in the mainstream are becoming much more literal right much more driven by plot uh, so many films now are based on on stories based on books you know and so there's this idea of methodically just chopping around chopping along and telling the story as straight as possible but I mean, cinema is such a visual language. I mean, the, the first films, you know, the early films were silent. Are we change? Our, our expectations change, like as and the films change to reflect them. So it's sort of like this back and forth that happens, right? People's attention spans are going down, and so as a result, for the movies to uh, continue to speak to them, then the movies have to accomplish things quicker, get to the point quicker. You know, don't linger on moments for too long. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. But Shane Carruth described Upstream Color, like his process of making it, as almost trying to think of the film as like an album. You know, he said, we, we, when we listen to, say, something like Pink Floyd's The Wall, you know, afterwards people aren't, you know, uh, trying to explain it away or like figure it out. You just get lost in the music. And when you're in it, it actually makes perfect sense because you're in it. Once you step out of it and try to contain it for someone, you, you can't do it. So you go back in. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, that's art, you know, one of the beautiful things about communicating with a, a medium, right? Other than like verbal language. And upstream color has its own language. It doesn't really play by any sort of tropes that we've seen in other films. And so, yeah, there's a need for someone to say, okay, well, what does this mean? What does that guy mean? But there's almost no, there's no way to literally, you know, explain it away you have to look at it metaphorically right and so it's i mean it's more like a poem in many ways yeah i was starting to say before we recorded that i, I was trying to talk to kind of some some people at my work you know i just finished watching it and i was so enthusiastic about just the experience that i'd had watching it and trying to verbalize it was mm-hmm. was really difficult and trying to like what i was doing was i was trying to sell it mm. like and I was doing exactly what you're talking about. I was trying to kind of make it fit this structure. No, you have to see it because this happens. And I'm like, right. because because worms go into pigs. Like, it, yeah. it did a terrible job of it. And the person ended up thinking that the movie sounded terrible, yeah. which is a real shame. Like, it, it really is difficult to put it into words. So why – you're the one who chose this movie. Mm-hmm. I had seen it. I'd I'd seen the poster come across my Netflix feed before, but it never even occurred to me to consider it. It, it looked – it looks very much like an independent drama that mm-hmm. I, I had no reason to really get pulled into. So why why this one? Why Upstream Color? It's really affected me, you know, on many levels uh, seeing this film. I mean, not only because of how much I love the film, but the process of, of how Shane Carruth, you know, pulled it off entirely autonomously, pretty much. I mean, he made the film, you know, he, he shot the film. I mean, scenes that he wasn't in, right? Composed sure. the score, like all these things, and even distributed it himself. This idea of not relying on festivals and not relying on like a, an exterior source to take your film the rest of the way. He just did everything himself, the trailers, the posters. Like It's an absolute homemade movie. And there was something really beautiful about that for me and something really pure and really, you know, gutsy. Too just like uh, you know, because he did Primer back in uh, in two thousand three, and that was a huge smash at the Sundance. He made it for like seven thousand dollars, a really high concept science fiction film, you know. Um, and then he just 
seemingly disappeared for like nine years. But what he really did was he was in, you know, he went into the whole meetings, film meetings, film meetings, and it just drained him dry. And so he decided to go and just make a movie himself, right? Oh, okay. So he was kind of experiencing being a hot commodity. And yeah, he was like he was the wonderkind, you know, of Sundance. But it's just like, then there are other realities, right? The the meat market realities, like how do we sell stuff? How do we sell stuff? And, you know, but um, but anyway, so why this film, you know, for the film itself, I'm, I'm always happy to like to share something that I love, uh, especially something that is maybe not going to be the first thing that you jump for when you look. And I love talking about it because it evokes feelings in me and thoughts that other films simply don't. Right. And for me as, as a filmmaker and, and, and doing what I do, it's a lot harder for me to sort of get sucked in to an experience than say, you know, it's someone who, who doesn't know anything about the process and doesn't even care to know about the process. They just want to lose themselves for a bit, right? It's harder for me to lose myself. And um, not that I'm trying to lose myself, but it's just sort of, if you can get me caught up so much that I'm not thinking about this being a film or, oh, that's a great shot or how this is being done, then you've done something, you know, pretty spectacular for me personally anyway. I had a similar experience the first time I took uh, uh, a film studies course where it was just you started to kind of understand how the sausage gets made. Yeah. And it makes it a lot harder for a period of time to kind of find the magic again and to 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 feel it the way that you used to when you start to when you start to analyze it and understand it and pick it apart. Well, and it raises your expectations too. I mean, as it as it should. And uh, something like Upstream Color, like I said, where it, it, he's, he's, it's almost like he's discovered a new color and he's now painting with this new color that we've not seen before. And um, that's really exciting to me. It's, all, it's actually really intimidating to lots of people because they can't like, you know, it, there's no context. You find yourself in a strange foreign place. There's no trace of home to latch on to. And you know, for some people, it's like terrifying and, you know. Uh, but again, this is an, an, just one of the many reasons why I, I love to talk about this film. And I just thought, well, there are a lot of films that I could pull from Netflix right now and talk. I mean, I could talk about film for like three months straight, you know, just take some drinks and, and some food. But um, this film, I don't know. I just it, I'm really excited to talk about it. You you mentioned kind of the Shane Carruth's experience of making it. And that was something that. I'm glad I didn't know anything about it beforehand. Like I went into this completely, mm -hmm. completely dry. No idea what to expect. It was Jason said, watch it. Now I'm watching it. <laughs> and I, I'm really glad for that because I wouldn't necessarily have hated it, but I, I prefer to have experienced it first before finding out about the background and finding out how small of a budget it was and how much of a passion project it was oh, yeah. because that makes the whole thing seem even more triumphant mm -hmm. because it looks like maybe not a, big budget blockbuster movie but it's a polished movie oh, it's, it's beautiful yeah from beginning to end and then when you go through the credits and shane caruth is like half of them they're mm -hmm. like no no seriously mm -hmm. like, you can't not consider that to be an even bigger triumph to find that out after the fact absolutely and it really inspired it really inspired me like i'm i you know when i was just like oh man this guy you know he scored this film on his laptop you know, and all this stuff. And I, and I was just so blown away by that. And I was in the midst, you know, I saw Upstream Color in April of 
2013 at TIFF Lightbox in Toronto. And I was so blown away. I had, I had just, I had finished shooting um, my most recent film where I'd had one scene left to shoot, uh, The Golden Hour. And uh, then I was going into scoring it. But uh, I had been working with someone else and, you know, it wasn't necessarily going the way I wanted it to. So I, I saw Stream Color and I just thought, why don't I just try I just try to do it. So I ended up, you know, scoring the film. I was just, but I just, I didn't know if I could. It was just a matter. But there's that thrill of discovery of just like doing something, whether it's out of, born out of necessity or just like, okay, I'm doing something very minimal here. It's not like I'm a concert pianist or anything, but I think I can do this like for my film, like, you know, this particular thing. And so just that is sort of like, he sort of upped the ante for me. (laughs) And, uh, and so I, I just said I would I would throw my you know my ball in the court, and um, but yeah for me it's just like that he did it and he did it his own way and when he showed up at the Sundance Film Festival with it there was a big hoopla because Shane Ruth was back and everyone expected a bidding war over this film but the first words he said were the film is not for sale I'm not here to sell the film uh, I'm distributing it myself I'm just here to show it to you and I thought that. that that was awesome. I mean, it was such a rock star move. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It keeps compounding because the first credit is all about how it's written, produced, directed by yeah. Shane Carruth. And at that point, I didn't know that he was the male lead. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, come on, man. Like, <laughs> And then I found out he did the music. And all along yeah. watching it, I was like, this music is beautiful. It's an like, incredible score. I was like, who, who did this? And then like, it was just kind of a throw my hands up in the air. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. Leave some for the rest of us. Yeah. So how did that work out for you with uh, what, Golden Hour? Yeah, yeah. Did like you, you ended up scoring it yourself? And- I did. Yeah, and we won, we won uh, best short at the the Toronto Independent Film Festival, and uh, no, it all went very well. I was I was I wouldn't change a thing about it. I it, I still when I listen to it or I look back at it, I don't know honestly where this in a three week flurry of activity I, I composed this score, and I still can't tell you like how it happened. I just I sat there and it just. It, it just, I just did it, you know, <laughs> just, I just did it. Um, but yeah. So if you run into Shane Carruth again, do you guys have to have like a duel or, uh, we have to throw down the gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like, no, you did I, it. I did it. Let's... Yeah. He did it. I mean, I won't like c- compare our scores. I mean, I think that he, <laughs> his, I think his score as a, as a listening experience by itself was like, you know, is, is a, is a different level for sure. But, um, I think that, you know, I mean, the score that I did, you know, I, I love it and it, it's exactly the right thing for the film. Um, but uh, yeah, I still listen to the upstream color score all the time. It's a, it's a, just that you know he understands that like the score isn't for trying to manipulate the audience. The score is, uh, you know, and this is the way I sort of treated it when I did it was like adding a sort of a, a color or a context for things or sort of the inner voice of characters when they're not speaking or whatever. So it's like telling the story with a little sort of giving a little subtle boost to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most distracting things for me when I'm watching a film is when suddenly people are talking and then it sounds like a guy with a violin just took the table behind them and started playing for them. And it's just like the movie, the filmmakers are telling us feel this way now. And that's for me, it's just lazy that th- those feelings should come organically out of the scene. And then the music's just there to just, I don't know, just, pull you a little a little tighter you know a little closer so more of a more of a guiding hand and less of a a blunt instrument Mm -hmm. the part where i noticed the music the most was definitely in that last 
that last sequence, mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes where, um, I mean, so much of the film is spent in, in silence in yep. terms of dialogue, but really like yeah, the, the last time anybody speaks, it doesn't feel like any kind of big moment. You just all of a sudden, yeah, you're finishing off the movie. There's this long patch. 35 of- minutes of the movie to, at the end is no, is no dialogue. Yeah. And so it's absolutely it, like you don't mind. No. You're not you're not worried about <laughs> losing track of what's happening. The music's kind of guiding you, but yeah. it's really there as as like you said, like an extra color kind of layered on top of well, yeah, the visual a, experience. He's established such a rhythm by that point, and there has been there have been such stretches of silence that by the time that happens, it's really that it's like the coda. It's sort of it's the end of the symphony, you know that the you know that the sampler's been putting together, or that you know whatever's been happening, right? And um, and the sound design on the film's just so incredible. Like you know, you, anyone who watches this film, I challenge you, you know, I, I, I you will not think of uh, sound recording the same way again you know like the, I loved all the shots of like him dragging things and like the you know when the sampler is like making his uh, his recordings all right because sound is part of the story as well yeah. we've got the the very aptly named in the credits the sampler who yeah. you know he as I guess a hobby or possibly as a means I of, think it's beyond beyond a hobby but uh, well I, sure sure I just yeah. mean like it's I, I can't imagine that selling those albums is his primary source of yeah right of of living but he's got this you know obsession with capturing the natural noises that are around him but also kind of creating them by by sliding things together and mm-hmm. dropping rocks into tunnels and things like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so there is this really consistent and and wonderful relationship with even just the concept of sound mm-hmm. and the fact that he's taken all of these sounds manipulated them and, and i don't know picked up the the shane caruth gauntlet himself and just yeah. said all right here's here's what i'm gonna do with sound and you know releasing it to the public and well yeah and just that i you know the way that sounds can influence us too right uh, you know make us feel a certain way i mean there are certain frequencies that we can't hear other ones that affect us even when we can't hear them you know I mean, that's the film, what the film's really about. I mean, I'm always hesitant because I feel like I can actually literally, with the with some exceptions, I tell you, at least from my point of view, exactly what all of Upstream Color is about. Um, that said, I don't know that it's necessary. Like, I mean, there, there are sort of two ways to think about the film. It's like here's physically what happened and again like if you just tell someone the bare bones so the story idea like it sounds it sounds absolutely preposterous right i mean it's it just sounds totally insane and it's like i have a very difficult time putting my work into a single synopsis because the only way i can describe it really truly is to show you the film and uh, a friend of mine recently was able to do it with one of my films put it into one line and it just blew me away that he that he did that and i, I okay so i said well it, i know it's possible i don't think i'm the one to do it but i know that it's possible and um so with upstream color i mean the uh like what's physically happening and what we experience you know are are, are sort of two different things because the film's so Subjective. It's so from the point of view of these characters. So it's necessarily fragmented in the opening passages when they don't know what's happening. So we don't get like that omniscient viewpoint on it right away anyway until we start to see what the sampler's doing and what the pigs mean and how they're connected, you know, how are things connected. 
I am very tempted to get into that discussion. No, and, please do. I, I'm, and, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm totally. I will. I will. I will go right down that rabbit hole with you. I just um, <laughs> like I, I don't want to start like when I when I talk about the idea of the importance of experiencing a film and understanding it while you're in it. Um, that's the only reason why I, I use that sort of as a as a disclaimer before I do get into saying. Right. I would. I would very much hope and. You know, sometimes I say this and sometimes I don't. But this is definitely one where I would I would encourage people to to watch mm-hmm. and experience this movie before before even before listening to this, really, mm-hmm. because you're probably not going to get anything out of it. Like the the real experience is 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 the watching of the movie, and we're just yeah. here to kind of revel in it. Yeah, and to, totally. And to I, I guess maybe either explain or maybe possibly disagree or maybe about wall- do we wallow is it pigs have a wall is it a wallow that they have i think they wallow yeah so we wallow in it that's what we'll do well if i <laughs> if i have a psychic pig companion who's wallowing then i guess yeah. i would i would have no choice but to wallow in it yeah. but um the the one part that really that continues to bother me mm-hmm. in terms of trying to make sense of of this whole thing because i mean that's that's my natural instinct is read the text analyze it figure it out is shane cruz describes i believe this is was in his words he describes this as being uh, a life cycle and mm-hmm. you have the three different mm-hmm. kind of stages where you have the the orchid stage the human stage and the pig stage mm-hmm. and you have the the thief character from the beginning whose job it is to uh, to collect the the worms and the grubs and uses them selfishly to to gain money and to mm-hmm to just be a huge skis and really violate all sense of free will. And it's a terrible violation. Yeah. It's, it's really, really terrible. And I want to come back to that for sure. Mm -hmm. But what's lacking for me is the connection between the thief and the sampler, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there has to be one like the, the connection for me just to have it all kind of work in my brain. Mm -hmm. It seems so difficult to accept that you would have, you know, this beginning stage, then you'd have this disconnect where independently you would have this other guy who's mm-hmm. figured out how to entice the people who are infected with these worms mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. And then, for like, I don't really understand what he's doing. Right. Like, I get why the people are collecting orchids at the end. They're selling them. I get why the guy is... I'm not saying I sympathize with it, but I understand why the thief is doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't... I can't wrap my head around what the sampler is doing and how he could possibly know about all of this and, and what he's really gaining from it. Like, mm-hmm. how, like how did that guy come to discover these worms in the first place? And I think right. that, you know, that, that maybe I need to just resist the temptation to try to understand it on that, that literal level that you talked about. But I, that's the one part where I feel like I've missed it. Mm-hmm where I believe Shane Carruth has said that the way that he describes it, it almost implies that the worms themselves are in charge or like the toxin or whatever right. it is that they put out is what's guiding the whole thing. But I just, I struggle with that. If we look at like if in nature, right? Like, you know, I was watching a documentary not that long ago about, um, uh, I think it was like, it was wolves. And uh, talking about how, like, a certain, I think it's the brain, like, the only part of a salmon that they that they can't eat is, like, the head, the brain, is, is actually totally toxic 
to wolves. So when a wolf eats a salmon, they se- they separate the head from it and go bury it in the forest. So there's no chance that any of their kind is going to just mistakenly eat that or whatever. But the salmon, I mean, you know, the salmon don't know that the brain is toxic to the wolves. And I don't know how the wolves figured it out and communicated it to each other that it's toxic. But then it goes, you know, they bury it and it ends up like, you know, nurturing the earth and other animals feed from it. And there's there's a cycle, a life cycle process right there that these animals just sort of innately are doing. But nobody's telling them how to do it. There's no, it doesn't seem that there's a real impetus for the salmon to get caught and eaten. You know what I mean? But it happens. And uh, I mean, when the salmon, I mean, bears just know where to stand when the salmon are doing their run going upstream and literally shooting up waterfalls into bears' mouths. You know, the bear's just waiting, you know, for this lottery of fish that... uh, so that's the kind of thing that I think when I think one of the crucial key points in Upstream Color, one of the, the biggest tell in the whole film of what this is about is the scene where uh, Jeff and Chris are looking at the birds moving in formation and, you know, saying uh, they could be starlings. Like they're trying to figure out what they are, what they're doing. And that's around the time he says, I want to go wherever you go. And uh, so the birds, what they're doing, it's called murmuration, where it's amazing to watch. Like suddenly they just immediately shift direction. It seems impossible that they could do it in perfect formation. It seems so random. How are they doing it? And so for me, upstream color is really about murmuration. It's really about that process. And like when two people enter into a relationship together – there's a certain aspect of surrendering of, of the self and becoming, you know, this this entity. And, and these characters are particularly vulnerable and damaged because they've both gone through the same traumatic experience. And so they sort of need each other. It's very codependent, you know. And uh, But the whole film is built around that idea of something unseen that you don't really realize the, the power of its effect on you, on your life. Like they know that something is missing when he throws, you know, those uh, those piglets off the bridge. They just know, you know, and it's right around the time that she's told by a doctor that she can't get pregnant. So, yeah, I mean, it's these 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 unseen forces uh, that govern us. And for, for me, Upstream Color is, is a is a meditation on that, like a, a visual meditation primarily on it. Like you, we can ask, what is it? What is in it for the sampler? What does he gain from all of this? I think the process of doing it is, is you know, it's just what he's doing. I mean, you know, some people have described him as like, he's like a godlike figure, like playing God, you know, with his farm. And um, <clears throat> I can't really disagree with that. I mean, it's it's an interpretation that seems to... Like once he's doing it, mm-hmm. I understand that. Because if I were to suddenly gain the ability to do that, like kind of become a psychic voyeur of people right. by you know, maintaining a, a pig farm, then... <laughs> yeah, that's not a tough sell. Like that's that's it's been pretty... on my bucket list for a while. The film, unfortunately, <laughs> the film unfortunately beat me to it, so I have to try something else. But yeah, I guess it's more about his his involvement in the process. Like it's more kind of like what could the history of the character possibly have been where he's discovered 
mm-hmm. these worms and what they can do and why it's even occurred to him in the first place to transplant these worms yeah. into a pig. I think that's that's my, that's my stumbling block, though. I just mm-hmm. don't I don't know if there's an answer for that. So I don't know if I'm going to drive myself crazy. Well, I don't think getting Shane to Ruth, there in the first place. I don't think Shanky Ruth's going to make a prequel. So I think uh, <laughs> I think the best thing is is. Uh, there's a certain uh, beauty in the searching of it. Like every time I watch Upstream Color, I sort of feel a little different, see see a little bit more. But it does. I, I like what he said about the idea of, of of making a film almost with that sort of the same motive that you you know making of making an album. You know that you 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 watch it and and hear it and feel it in the same way that you would with with a record and. Uh, I don't know, there's something beautiful in that, and we've kind of gone away from that as a society. Like we've gone, especially in America, like North America, very far away from the fact that film is an art form. I mean, it's not only an art form; it's like this culmination of of all art forms, right? And what we, what do we do with it? We belittle it, and we just make like. X-Men movies, and and you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but when it becomes. <clears throat> what cinema is, which is kind of what's happened in the mainstream, right? Cinema is now a big, huge comic book. And um, we're, we're, we're taking like this vast potential to tell stories and we're just flooring it. We're, we're putting it in the dustbin. And I, I, you know, people will probably, I'm sure some people think that I'm, I'm snobby about this because I'm always the guy who's like, you know, shitting on the superhero movies. It's like, oh, great, another superhero movie. Yay. And, you know, but there's room. Why can't why can't there be more choice in the multiplex, right? Where we're basically not giving people a choice to see anything else but these things. And then everything else, like Upstream Color, I mean, I had to go to Toronto to see it on a big screen, right? And we do have, you know, a beautiful, incredible, you know, art house uh, cinema here in town, the Highland, but Upstream Color was even too obscure for that, right? So why is that? Because we're forcing these kinds of experiences into the corner. That's why I love Netflix. And that's another reason why I chose this film, because it gives an opportunity to talk about how Netflix has brought the sort of democratization of of cinema back. You know, there, there was a time when you could go see like Empire Strikes Back in the same theater that you could see like an Italian film and a French film. And it was just accepted. Hey, let's go see the one with Luke Skywalker tonight. Now there isn't that. And so I want people. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. Like Roger Ebert, before he died, he did analytics of Netflix, and he was started to look at what are the most po- common films that are being watched on Netflix to contrast it with what are the films that are most popular at the box office. And at the box office, of course, the films that were most popular were simply the films that were playing because they're all the same, right? And so on Netflix, people were going for like foreign films and stuff, and it gave me a great feeling that of like you know enhanced faith in people and like people want to see good stuff they're not just dumb and just like i only want to see superhero movies like they want to see more and that's why netflix is killing the box office it's killing things because it's like hey i can choose yeah and it like from a financial transaction Sorry, a bit of a tyrant, a tyrant. No, no not not a problem from a financial standpoint you're going to get a lot more for I don't mean this to turn into a commercial for Netflix, but no. I mean, hell, that's kind of the point of this thing. The reason that we're seeing this, you know, the the theater become what it is is because we have these 
you know, massive corporations mm-hmm. turning to properties that they think are going to give them the best return on investment, throwing hundreds of million dollars at it and then hoping to get it back. Yeah. And we're talking about just these huge numbers. But then for the end user, us, the the consumer of culture, the people who want to watch movies, you know, a lot of the times now it's do I spend eight dollars a month and get access to a whole bunch of stuff and not necessarily worry about what's new and worry about midnight screenings of big blockbuster things? Mm. Or do I spend forty dollars on the experience of going to the theater to watch the big thing that I'm not actually all that excited about, but I just feel myself kind of being tugged into the hype machine of mm-hmm. of going to see it. And it, you're right, it's wonderful and beautiful to see Netflix winning that and mm-hmm. to to see as you called it, the democratization of, yeah, and of I mean, film going. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just Netflix. Like, it's Netflix is sort of, uh, they sort of realized what was happening when people were going online and, and downloading films or, like, finding ways to see stuff that you just couldn't get access to in the theater. And people were being creative. It's like, okay, you want to see this film, you know, from, like, Argentina, or you want to see this? Here we go. We'll, we'll put this up online. You can download it. And Netflix was like, okay, well, people want this kind of stuff. So, you know, they, they took that. You know, they're not the only company doing it, but let's face it, they're the big they're the big one, you know, and they have a, a really high-quality streaming, you know. It's frustrating. You know, it's frustrating for me as a filmmaker, too, because I don't want to just be preaching to the choir. Like, my films are not, you know, mainstream-feeling experiences, but that I believe that absolutely everybody you know, can connect to it. Like when I showed the last one, I mean, the people would come up and tell me personal stories of like things that happened in their life that this sort of tweaked out of them. And, and it just, it's interesting because I know, I mean, I face certainly an uphill battle because I want as many people as possible to see my films, but, um, you gotta, you've got to break through like a huge wall to do that. Something like Netflix, like these other areas, have been great a great way to circumvent that wall to a certain extent. But I still want that theatrical experience, right? And I, I think that we can take it back. And it's it's happening a little piece by piece. Like so, when a film like It Follows, for example, which is a, a, that recent uh, horror film that I just love, this independent film, it snuck into Silver City, like here in town, for like a week. So I went there to see it, e- even if it had been playing at the Highland which unfortunately it wasn't, I would have chosen to see it at Silver City simply because, you know, for me, it's like a vote, right? Like there's a place for a film of this size and scope and budget here. And I would like to have more of it here because I know not everyone's going to go to the Highland and not everyone's going to, you know, choose these things. And I don't want, if, if one of the things that I do in this world is I want to remind people that there's always a choice, then I'll do that in any tiny little way that I can. I do like with Silver City in particular is where I see a lot of it, but where there does seem to be this move towards, if not total democracy, then at least variety, where we're starting to, I mean, for years they've been doing uh, like opera at the Met and mm-hmm. showing that on the screens and mm-hmm. getting themselves into something you'd expect more from an independent yeah. where it's okay. Now we're doing like, I, I saw a double feature of Quentin Tarantino movies yeah. where, I mean, obviously these, these are some of the most popular movies on the planet, yeah. but it's not necessarily the event of seeing what's new and being so dependent on novelty and commercialization. Yeah. Well, like, you know, Hollywood is like an animal that moves into a, uh, a habitat and cleans it out. Right. 
they won't move to the new habitat until everything in this one is dead. So they'll make all the superhero movies. It's like, well, people like superhero movies. Let's only make superhero movies until they hate them, until they stop paying for them. Then we'll turn to something else. And so then we have people who are working on other things. And when there's a lull, they can sneak in. And if they're good enough, if what they put in is good enough, then maybe people lose a little bit of interest in superhero movies. And then maybe a year later, they've lost a lot of interest. Right. But so people need to be doing these other things. And it's important that we let them in, you know, that we don't shut the doors to this stuff. Like, I'm happy. Keep making superhero movies. It's great. Just don't swallow the world with them, (laughs) you know. And uh, that's I mean, for me, again, like going back to Upstream Color, it's just uh, there's something there was just something so beautiful and liberating in, in watching it for me because I have no desire to make sort of these these big Hollywood experiences. And when I watch something like this, where it feels like a true artistic vision, it, for me, it just like it's it emboldens me. Where I'm just like I, I I was very emotional watching the film the first time, and I get emotional like you know by by small things that I'm often baffled that other people don't. Like the other day, I was like I was just watching an aerial screensaver on my Apple TV and the, the song was on and I was just like tearing up just watching this beautiful image and, and just I, and I told my friend and she looked at me like I was crazy like I said I just sat here like you know kind of quietly you know crying for the last five minutes just looking at this beautiful image and she she didn't get it and I just realized well it takes so much to get to people now it's like the movies are so big and so expensive nobody gives Nobody gives a crap. Like, they expect it now. Like, they'll sit down and watch it. And, like, even four-year-old children know what's digital and what's not. Like, oh, that's CG. That's CG. It's not magic. It's not special. But it's expected. Like, that's what they've done is they said, this is the baseline now. At least 90 minutes of cities being blown up. (laughs) You know, that's the baseline. So how do we up the ante from that? For me, you up the ante by scrapping it all and like showing people actually having real emotional experiences. And that makes people uncomfortable a lot. You know, when you watch mainstream storytelling, when two characters get close and intimate, they're just about to kiss and then we cut, you know. I, even as a kid, I had problems with Return of the Jedi for that very reason. I mean, when when Darth Vader and Luke are showing are, are are squaring it off, we kept cutting back to Endor. I'm just like, it's a complete different shift in tone. I'm like, no. Even like when I, I think when I was 12 years old, I'm just like, this isn't right. <laughs> One day I'll fix this. But anyway, um, so yeah, upstream color. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ask me any questions that you want, if you want to talk specifically about it, because you see what I'll do. I'll just go all over the place on this. So, No, getting like three episodes worth out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I get to take the next few weeks off. I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's funny that, I mean, just to, this is my, my forced segue here, but you've talked quite a bit about choice and how we need to have this choice. Mm-hmm. And one category that i feel this this movie can fit into not that you know it obviously like just defies categorization but it it also really belongs in horror as mm-hmm. well cuz the that's that's what was so troubling about it not not just like the the kind of body horror moment that you have when when the worms are crawling underneath his chris's skin yeah. but so much of this is about and you've touched on this already is about the the influences that that we don't realize are taking effect. Mm -hmm. And you start off the movie with people who have completely had their free will stripped away. Yeah. And through this, 
worm hypnosis. It always feels silly whenever I try to tie it totally. back to what actually no, happens I'm in right, the I, I agree in the movie. But you know, we have these people who are so exposed, and specifically Chris, who's so exposed and so vulnerable, mm-hmm. and that's so uncomfortable mm-hmm. because like we spend so much time in that comfort of even if there's these illusions of free will or what have you, but feeling like I'm in control of what happens and, and, and feeling like I'm safe within my own body Mm -hmm. and that gets taken away from us with this movie. Mm -hmm. And we're almost relieved that the whole purpose of this violation is for monetary gain Mm. because it is a reason. It's like a reason. Yeah. It's a, it's a reason. And I feel like if all I lost was money, then mm-hmm. that's fine. And I guess not, not all you lost was that because, you know, like the feeling of safety is pretty crucial to one's psychic well-being. Mm-hmm. But there's this intense violation, but it's it's almost a relief that it nothing worse was done to them. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's also kind of it's a horror movie. Like, I, I think in some levels, like Shane Ruth talked about this idea, like when two people meet each other, he, he wanted to go deeper. He wanted to know that there was more to us than just talking points. Like, do we just say when we're getting to know someone, do we always tell them the same story? Is that what we use to, like, endear ourselves to someone or, or get closer to someone? Um, and he wanted to go to, a you know, it's a much more existential approach of like, OK, let's strip these people down to like their base elements let's strip away all of the social veneer like all of the comforts all of the carefully constructed facades like when they first meet right when chris and jeff like sit down like she takes out her prescription she said okay well so i take one of the you know four of these in the morning is that and he's like she's like i think i just saved us you know both a couple of like a couple of weeks and and then you know he doesn't at first know how to react to that like she's just instead of like doing this dance she just thought well hey let's just eventually i'm going to show you these bottles and we don't know what the prescriptions are you know but um and uh and then that'll be that so why not just you know cut out the time right so because neither of them can quite explain what draws them to each other right but i mean i think that goes for any two people when they're you know coming together and for me there's an element of horror in it and in that uh that that starting to become emotionally dependent on someone or having someone become emotionally dependent on you, right? That moment where they look at you and there's a need, you know, and uh, the film sort of explores that idea of like what happens when two people start to just, you know, uh, lose themselves in their relationships. You, so, you know, when they're talking about their childhood memories and she's like, no, 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 that happened to me. That's my memory. Like they start to lose sight of where one person, you know, begins and the other ends. Right. And, um, I don't think that that experience is exclusive to this film. What really spoke to me about their relationship, at least at first, and you've talked about the, the beginning of their relationship is that it, it defies meet cute. Mm-hmm. Like it's set up in that right way where, you know, their eyes meet when they, when they're on the bus and it takes him a few, and we, we know from costume changes, it takes him more than one meeting to finally approach her and talk to her. Like he, yeah. he feels this, this draw to her mm-hmm. where it might just be that she's just the cutest girl on the commute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finally works his way up to it and it takes so long in the movie for them to, for them to be a couple that I actually cared about. Yeah. Or it was like, where they are coming together, but they're they're never being cute mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. They take so like they they're just two individual people who feel compelled to each other yeah. for no visible reason, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, this this deeply unconscious reason. And 
eventually they do get to a point where through familiarity and through becoming comfortable with each other, we get the montage later where they're just where they are being cute finally, mm-hmm. where they it's it's transformed into something more like love and affection and when they're holding hands with each other with their arms wrapped around each other with their hoods over yeah. their heads and it becomes much sweeter, but it starts off defying kind of that that narrative that we we're so used to. Totally. It's like, well, they're taking shelter in each other. They, they, they don't know why, why they need each other, but they, they sense that something like she doesn't seem very surprised when she sees the scars on his leg, right, from where he's cut himself to remove these things. And there's a great one of my favorite lines in the film is where he says, you know, when he's describing, you know, sort of the shifty acts that he's done at work, you know, um, siphoning funds and things. He says, we're going to go to that party and all these people are going to look at me in a way that you don't look at me yet. And I thought that that was a really telling and fascinating line. It's like, you know, you only know someone as, 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 as much as you let them know you. You know what I mean? And, and you, you can only know someone as much as you know yourself. So the things you if, you, if you really understand yourself, you'll understand what another person's going through when they feel pain. You'll be much more empathetic. Um, it's not a mystery. Like, you know, I've heard people say like, oh, women are a mystery or, or guys are a mystery. No, they're not. I mean, we're all mysterious in our own way, but we all want the same basic things. You know, and uh, we put these ridiculous pedestals. We put things, things, and people on pedestals, and it's just. But yeah, so I mean, this film, it, you know, it's it's mysterious, but it's um, not everyone will find the same things in it that I will, and that's what's beautiful about it. Like I, that's why I want, yeah, people to see it. It's also unsettling to to see that they're even when they are finally committed to each other or codependent with each other or they're a couple that we feel like we need to root for that even that there's this underlying threat that it's not genuine Mm -hmm. because it's actually like the the for for my read on it is that the pigs are actually kind of the predominant emotional Mm -hmm. crux of the relationship and they're just feeling the ripples of that Mm -hmm. and these ripples are getting stronger and stronger and as the pigs get more comfortable with each other that's bleeding into their lives Mm -hmm. but since they already have those ties to each other they're they stop resisting and they're just like okay fine let's just go with it and let's Mm -hmm. find comfort in each other and let's in moments of crisis we need to run towards each other well it also raises that question like how much how deeply do you really ever know someone right and it's like when you enter into a relationship are are you is it more about what how this person makes you feel like is it about taking safety and is that what it is is two people like taking safety from each other or two people sharing their loneliness with someone else and it's like um so i mean these things are all sort of you know quietly explored in the film like as they start to get closer and closer and and then she can hear sounds that he can't hear like there's a sound under the house you know she ends up getting him to dig deep into the earth right so again that idea of some people hearing things that others don't hear or you know i mean there are animals that see spectrums of light and color that we can only imagine so yeah, upstream the the conundrum with upstream color is how do I explain a film that like defies explanation, right? And my first instinct is is to not do that is is to think is to just like think about how it makes me feel and the other ideas that come up in my head when I talk, when I when I do talk about it. But I mean 
Yeah, because I, we can sit here and, and, and definitely and discuss like what happens on screen and who's doing what. Some it's like it's like explaining time travel. The further you get into it, the more <laughs> the more unclear it seems sometimes. Right? You get to that point where you're just like, we're now going to go insane. But for me, that's it. Like the, the murmuration is really what the film's all about. When two different organisms or a group of organisms suddenly become synced up and at the end well maybe i won't say at the end but no that's okay that's okay we often often get into yeah i feel like if someone's gonna watch like a a 60 to 90 minute podcast or listen to a podcast about a film they're gonna expect this is gonna go beyond (laughs) a little uh a surface uh you know glance so but yeah when they when they reunite with with the pigs you know it's like uh I don't know that that life cycle is complete. That circle is complete, right? I I don't know if it's complete or if it's it's broken. Well, a circle, yeah, you're, that's a good point. I mean, like a circle is broken, a new one is beginning. Like, but again, it's like that that life cycle, right? Like the and w- w- how do the orchids, you know, get their their color, right? I mean, upstream because the uh, the color flows upstream, right? In in the trailer, uh, he actually have you seen the trailer? The I haven't. Tra- no. The trailer is also a beautiful, you know, work of art unto itself. Where um, he, he says, "There's a there's a subtitles in the trailer that say you can force your story's shape, but the color will always bloom upstream." And for me, again, that's I feel like that was Shink Ruth basically telling you exactly what the film's about in the trailer. Of course, you had no context for it yet, but I mean, like that's really I mean, it's you make plans, you see the structure of your life, but the, the results will always elude you and will always you know be bigger than you. How do the orchids get this color from a horrible, terrible thing? A terrible, like absolutely disgusting thing makes this beautiful thing. And I mean, that's, uh, you know, again, that's kind of the crux of the story, too. Like something so horrible happens to these people, but something sort of quietly, also perversely, you know, beautiful comes out of it. But then, you know, as is the nature of a cycle, it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the beautiful flower is the the impetus for the horror and the, the yes. psychic rape that that yep. comes upon these people in the first place because somebody's found a way to monetize the the awesome power of the thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, I find myself thinking about thinking about the film a lot and just in, in passing. Like it's always sort of like that's another reason why I, I haven't watched it in, in a in a little while, but um it's always sort of bobbing around in my head and every now and then I'll, I'll put the soundtrack on and I mean like I said, I mean, I've met, you know, I've met people involved in the film as a result of seeing it. Like, I was just so, it's so enthralled by it. And now, like, you know, I, I'm aware of a lot of other films that, you know, the people are working on and stuff, too. So, I mean, Shane Garuth's got a big, huge film coming next. Like, he's signed on, like, Anne Hathaway and, like, this huge cast. Yeah. I uh, I was actually really disappointed when I, I was reading more about, uh, about this movie and about his career that... Primer isn't on Netflix anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like I've always intended to to watch that one, but but it's not on there anymore. But you're right. The the next thing that he's doing is huge, and I really hope that he kind of remembers the the lessons of oh, you know, that that dark period where the, you know he was the golden boy. This is a long earned. I I don't think we have anything to worry about. I can't wait to see Shane Garuth like you know uh, break Hollywood. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> whatever he's gonna do, I mean. It's going to be fascinating. I mean, like David Lynch has made all different kinds of uh, of films, and Shankaruth's got a similar kind of feel in the sense that he's 
he's coming at it. You know, he's not. He wasn't a filmmaker. I mean, he, he was a software engineer, right? And he made Primer with no knowledge of how to make a movie other than like what he learned by making it, right? So it's got lots, lots of errors, technical things. I mean, it's 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 not polished, right? But it's incredible, and it's it's like it's easily one of the best time travel movies ever made. And I mean, like, that's no small feat for a guy who's never made a movie and, you know, is using incredibly limited resources. And um, so I do have it on DVD. I think maybe me and, like, maybe 10 other people in town maybe have <laughs> DVD copies of it. Um, but, uh, and I've, I, I mean, I loved that, that film, you know, since it came out. Um, so I was very excited to hear about Upstream Color. So, I mean, you know, David Lynch does has done bigger films. He's moved into things like he did, like The Straight Story, which, you know, I was when that was being advertised, I was like, what are you doing? D- David Lynch is doing a film about a, a guy who drives across the state on a lawnmower. And when I watched it, I'm like, that's maybe the most Lynchian of all of his films, right? It's like just the choice of subject matter is so unique too, right? So, I mean, Shane Carew's making this like epic high sees you know film called um the modern ocean and it's just like so i i believe his his take on like a big mainstream film is going to be as unique as you know his take on like the independent film right and why are people clamoring to work with him it brings us back to the point about choice and people want to do good stuff i was actually just having a conversation with a friend recently about like i watched a film with kira knightley recently on netflix called laggies and it was not a very good film i mean it wasn't bad but it was just like you know sort of bland and i was just like ah how did they get to kira knightley and I realized at that point, like, it's not that big of a deal to get actors anymore. Like, the, 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 the idea of the movie star, kind of, it doesn't really exist in the same way that it did. You know it, what I mean? Yeah, I keep thinking about that. That you know, I try to think of the defining movie star mm-hmm. right now, and there just, there isn't one. Like, every time that Tom Cruise comes out with a new movie, we kind of get reminded that, right. you know, he might actually have some selling power. But that's more just... Your consistency that yeah. like, you know what you're getting into but no one's wooed by it like it, it's it's more of like just like oh another tom cruise movie um so it, it's not it, actors aren't as inaccessible anymore i mean upstream call uh, sorry scarlett johansson recently did under the skin that would have been my like second choice so maybe if we if we do another one i'll maybe choose that but uh again like this is a you know she's worked in such big films and like so now she's doing like this really bizarre experimental film. And I thought that was fascinating. It got me thinking about that. Like, you know, uh, that again, that democratization. And also, again, it's not just audiences that I do believe want to see better things than what they're seeing. It's actors, you know, they want to do better work. And like, you know, Scarlett Johansson did not get paid a fraction of what she's used to for upstream, uh, for, uh, for under the skin. Right. And I mean, that film's budget was like, a quarter of what she usually makes for a film. Yeah, we do seem to be in the middle of a kind of return to artistry when it comes to acting, or at least yeah. a, a, a desire to make art and it, not not yeah. be the movie star. It's a, it's an exciting process to to watch unfold. It's very and exciting, especially. I mean, we see that as well with all these big name people who are. You know, 
I feel like it used to be really frowned upon to be in a TV show. Mm. And now that premium cable and Netflix and things like that are yeah. showing that in many cases, this is where the best content 100%. is being created. Yeah. We're seeing this flock towards it and just yeah. creating things that people want to see because they're the best things that can be seen and people just wanting to be a part of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, that used to be the case that, yeah, oh, not TV. But now it's like that's much higher. Like the, in terms of ma- in the mainstream, the, the caliber of writing and television totally dwarfs cinema. No question. Like I said, I'm watching Daredevil and I'm like comparing that to like the cinematic equivalent. No comparison <laughs> because television is character driven primarily first. And uh, so that also tells me people want character driven too. But, you know, Steven Soderbergh, you know, part of the reason he sort of stepped back from filmmaking was he said he was tired of the tyranny of narrative, where it's like films are just arranged in in sort of one of the things that they would teach you in like classical Hollywood filmmaking is beats, right? Okay, character beats, emotional beats, action beats, and these things all add up to tell your story. It's a a rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. But guess what? Life doesn't work that way. I don't feel anything when I know that a character's emotion that they're feeling is just to move the plot forward. I want to feel that the film is all being motivated by that emotion, not the emotion being used to motivate, to push the film. You know what I mean? That's not how I write. That's not how I think. And that's not what makes me feel anything when I watch a movie is knowing that this is just a beat to get to the next beat. So when it comes to Shane Roots, do you get the feeling that I'm just throwing my script out the window at this point? <laughs> do you get the feeling that it's a, a the success of you know a movie like this? And I I can't not consider this. Success. I have no idea how much money it made, but I don't. I'm not even considering that in calling. It was definitely a success. Well, yeah. calling well just artistically, mm-hmm. like it's there's no doubt in my mind that this is successful at whatever it is that he's trying to do. And I I don't claim to know his intentions, but world domination, one can only assume (laughs) through psychic grubs. Do you feel like that's just him having a vision and refusing to waver from it until it happens? So like that kind of mixed with tenacity or is it that he may just be like a really special talent who, who deserves to be paid attention to? Like, do you find that you're, inspired by him or in awe of him as yourself a filmmaker absolutely totally inspired by him i don't think that he would he would ever say like from what i know what i know of him that that he would ever say that he's special or that he's like you know deserving of anything i think he's just you know trial and error right and i mean that's how i taught myself how to make films right and again it's like you teach yourself by doing it but um and eventually you you fumble your way into your 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 rhythm or you find a way to articulate your voice right it's all it's like sculpting right it's all about getting rid of as much clay as possible to get down to like that that essence and i think that shane caruth you know he just Part of it was like, I think, naivete. And I, I believe that I share that naivete <laughs> to some extent with him, where I just like, I refuse. I, there's a, pa- a part of me that just refuses that I need to do anything the way that you're supposed to do it. And maybe it's like, there's, yeah, I don't know. I just, maybe I never outgrew that phase and, of my <laughs> development, right? But it's the same thing, I think, for him. Like, he, when you when I was reading an article primary, just like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I think that's why it worked. Because he was like inventing his 
tower instead of like trying to build one from the instruction manual that other people had made. Right. I, I was talking to Andrew Weiss about this a couple of weeks ago after we recorded our uh, our discussion on Only Lovers Left Alive. He was talking about his own oh, I love that film. musical process mm-hmm. and how he found when he was learning guitar that mm-hmm. he was trying to learn it the way that you are supposed to be taught. Right. And, you know, following the instructions and practicing this chord and that chord and this finger arrangement. And it wasn't until he was in this kind of free space where he picked up a new instrument that he'd never touched before when he, he was like, all right, fine. Now, now I'm going to learn bass. Yeah. Because I just, because why not? Yeah. And then he just, because no one was telling him how to do it, he was picking up this instrument, forming a more natural relationship with it, where he said, Okay, my goal is to express myself. This is the tool that I have to use it. Yep. So I'm just going to touch it and play with it and and really just create sound until it's expressing what I'm trying to emote. Yeah. Yeah, you just you do it, right? Like people scare themselves into inaction like, "Oh, I'm not a musician." Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm a musician. I'm not going to sit here and say, "Hey, I'm going to have a live show in a couple weeks." But I did sit down at a keyboard. I I purposely made a point of getting a keyboard in my apartment like when I first moved in cuz A, they're just beautiful. But also they're beautiful because they represent something. They like if I just push these keys like I'm going to create these sounds, right? So once I had a, I had the impetus, I had the mo- I had I had this film that I had done. I had I knew what I wanted to say. I started to like write down names of the songs and like and then those kind of became like chapter names like in the film and I was starting to think about the film which had always been visual to me of course. Now I'm thinking about it orally. And so I was like, okay, what I buy logic. So I bought logic and I have never used it in my life and I taught myself by re- recording a piece of music that weekend that I got it. And 3 weeks later the score was done. I just kept doing it and I got like carpal tunnel, like I, I mean not carpal tunnel, but I got some restraint injury in my hand because I was doing it all wrong. I had, for the first <laughs> for the first four recordings, I was standing to do it. So my wrists were in the wrong position. Everything was wrong. But the music was beautiful. I was in mortal pain. So I, I, I took a break, you know, I got a proper piano bench and stuff, and then I went back to it. But um, again, when I look at it and listen to it, holy like imagine if I had thought myself out of that. Imagine if I had said, No, I'm not a musician. That would exist and i'm so proud of it like and you know it it's just uh, it's exactly what the film needed and it just uh, you know at some point you just shut up and just listen to what's going on in your head and it will find a way out like but you have to shut up like that's what people do is they they don't they they talk themselves out of things and that's why shane caruth like why upstream color really inspires me so much because it's like it feels like such a victory i mean it's a victory of like personal you know artistic vision um, and he said when he was talking about the film uh, and its release, he said the most important thing is to penetrate the culture on some level. It's like if you can do that, then your film doesn't need you anymore. Then you can release it like t- into the world. The world can have it now. And I kind of I feel that way when I finish a film, like I wouldn't say that I've penetrated the culture yet in the way that I want to. But I'm also like I haven't done like my first feature yet. Like that's that's coming up, you know, soon. But um, that's that's if you can do that, if you can affect in a certain way, then you know that your film's okay now. It's, it doesn't need you anymore. And uh, it'll continue to sort of find uh, find new audiences, new viewers. And I think Upstream Color can absolutely be one of those films. I mean, it was certainly enough that he's getting huge funding for his next film, right? I mean, huge. Like, we're talking, 
catastrophically huge, especially compared to upstream colors, teeny budget. And, um, and I, the film was shot with all of off the shelf equipment, you know, like he shot the film on a DSLR camera and, um, he bought, he went on like eBay and, and got like Russian anamorphic cinema lenses and stuff like, so it's the most exciting time in history to be an independent filmmaker. You know, we have, the thing is like, we have all the tools and now the question is like, what are we going to do with them? And people are doing great things with them. And it's always like, I'm one of these people who like, I'm never threatened. I'm not competitive. And when I see someone else doing something great, I'm never jealous. I'm excited. You know, I, I don't know why people aren't more excited. I want to see what other people are doing. Like, blow me away. Show me something I've never seen before. And it just pushes me harder to want to do my own things. Not because I want to beat you. I just like, I want to do, I'm going to beat myself, Right you do get to that point where the difference between between something getting done and something not getting done between mm -hmm. art happening and art not happening is somebody just finally deciding to do it yeah like they're and because it's so so accessible it's so viable it's a really exciting time to yeah. to just be a part of any kind of creative endeavor and to to have access to damn near literally the entire planet to to find an audience in yeah, and there's there's something you know certainly noble and like following the following the rules to a T and like creating something like a perfect in that like like the idea of writing like a Shakespearean sonnet right the rules of like you know the amount of lines required and like the rhyming couplet at the end all these things that's a challenge in and of itself to try to get all that you feel into this tight structure but then there's the other way of just doing it the way it feels right I'm more of that school of thought and uh clearly shane caruth is and i know i'm pretty sure picasso and people like that you know were of that school of thought because i you know i don't think that picasso took you know too many lessons and how to get the paintings to look like that it's just but you you know art has the capacity to like really plunge us into the mind right and not just cinema but cinemas i mean my my art of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I chose it as much as it chose me, I guess, but I just sort of found myself into it over the years. But it's just, um, I don't know, there's, there's just something beautiful in, in communicating with another language. And people forget that that cinema is a language, you know, and that's why I love about Upstream Color, because it really is using the language of cinema much less than just like, let's film people talking about a plot. That's the worst when, when characters just become plot talking points, right? Like you, you can tune into any procedural drama, like, like a random ep moment of CSI or something, right? Like who are these people? You know what I mean? They're just like talking about the case, talking about this. Like do they, what do they do in their free time? That's the kind of films like I like to watch. I want to see them, what they're doing in their free time. I don't really care about like, you know, um, you know, for me, like uh, science fiction is at its most exciting when people are when it's exploring emotions like upstream color, definitely a science fiction film. But the core of it is like these people and what's happening to these people. And it's not talking about technology or anything like that. It's interesting to to consider kind of the different ways that people interact with these visual media, because when somebody tunes into a procedural like a CSI or or something like that, it's it's because like that it, that's serving a purpose for them. That's, oh yeah, totally. like it's it's filling an hour. It's something that I mean, once upon a time, it was scheduled on their TV mm -hmm. schedule. That you mm -hmm. know, this is how we spend Thursday evenings, um, as opposed to something like upstream color mm -hmm. it's not like oh you know let's just flip through oh you know let, let's try this out it's something right. that 
it almost requires intent to to go about it and to have Mm -hmm. i mean there's not really any way to prepare for the experience of it but it demands work of you it demands you to like you know get in there and get your hands dirty like and then you know and like something like csi i mean it's like there's something to be said too about following a formula to a t and there's certainly an element of satisfaction that's like i know if i sit down i know i'm going to get a certain experience right and sometimes that's that's even all i want right Mm um like I'm, I've been watching before bed the last little while. I've been going back through like that '70s show, okay. and I just like it's so silly, but it's like and I, it, you, everything. It's always like basically the same, but there's something like satisfying about it, and just like yeah, you know, before before I go to bed, you know, maybe I'll just watch a 20 minute episode of that '70s show. Um, maybe Daredevil's not the right thing right now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially given how insanely violent it is. But you you said before, and I think it's absolutely it's it's. The, the right thought process that you know there's room for both yeah it's not like you have to have the entire world absorbed by whatever disney has decided that we want to watch no and i mean like obviously i'm excited about some stuff that disney is working on and there's quality content there and i've you heard they're working on like a new project that's coming out in december people have been talking about it a little bit of hype yeah. surrounding that one I'm so, but i'm in the hype man like i'll wear the shirts like i love it so with this particular film Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Yeah. Yeah, here I am being like, mm, big budget blockbusters. Can't wait for Star Wars. It's no, going to be totally. like the biggest movie of all time. I think some of, you know, maybe sometimes people uh, forget, like, like it's not that I, I can't enjoy, like, these films. Like, I love Star Wars. Like, I love the original Jurassic Park. Like, you know, I went and saw the new one, and it just made me really want to go back and watch the, the original, right? But, no, when a big movie is great, I mean, it, it provides a kind of pleasure and, and experience that, you know, is is totally unique to it to itself, right? And there's lots – it just – there used to be a time when, like, the bigger films could also be challenging, you know, like, look at, like, 70s Hollywood. Look at 1960, I think it was 1968, when Space Odyssey came out. That played in theaters. That was a huge blockbuster. Nowadays, that would never, ever hit theaters. Ever. At best, it would hit Netflix. Like, at best. And then it would have a cult following. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we didn't have the 60s or the <laughs> 70s? Like, what would have influenced the filmmakers and the artists? Because no one would have seen these films if they were made for the first time now. And it would just be a cult following. So we get like some misfits like rambling together some stuff. But no, Space Odyssey in fa- impacted the world in a big way. In a way that art house films can't do in the world now. But I think we're slowly climbing back to being able to. And that, that idea of what Shane Carruth said, penetrating the culture, right? That's what we want to do. That's what I want to do. Like, I want to, like, you know, my mantra as a filmmaker is I don't want to make films that make you forget about your life. I want to make films that remind you you're alive. And uh, I don't think that that should be a scary thing for people. I, some people say, well, I just want to turn my brain off. That's fine. But you can't turn your brain off. When you go see a movie that you think you're turning your brain off for, neurons are firing. They're firing all over the place. And they're eating. It's like when you eat sugar and what your brain is saying, this is great. I want more sugar. But I don't want to turn my brain off. And I don't want to turn your brain off. I want to turn it on in amazing, beautiful ways. And that when I see something like Upstream Color that makes me feel the way I want to make you feel. That's like why it's so inspiring to me. 
doesn't mean I'm going to make a movie like Upstream Color. It doesn't mean I would even try because that would be ridiculous to try to do something someone else has done. It's like I just I can only make films one way, the way that I make them. I can't explain to you where it comes from or how I do it. I just I know that that I do it. Right. And it's it's more than like it, Upstream Color doesn't need to be replicated. It no. is it's it is its own thing, and it's powerful enough to inspire somebody to even if they're not trying to make that same movie again to be inspired to be genuine in their own creative process and just make something that comes across so so sublime to yeah. two people I, like i watched upstream color with a friend of mine like i was showing it to him and, and he had kind of a negative reaction towards it and his reasoning was because he never felt connected to the characters and i said to him you know I agree with you. Like we, the film doesn't really invite us to really connect with these people in the in a in a really sort of empathetic way. Um, but I said to him, in another type of film that could be seen, that would be a failure. But in Upstream Color, it's it's clearly a huge part of this film's process, right? Because they don't know each other, they don't know themselves, and the film's told from their point of view. So we go through the experience with them, trying to piece the pieces together. Um, so, but I, he just, he couldn't sort of create a context or like accept the, that about the film. And I know it's like very polarizing. I, I don't read forums cause I just like oftentimes find them to be like depressing, like <laughs> sort of, but I know that upstream color has been very divisive and like polarizing for sure. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, just looking at the the summary reviews you know rotten tomatoes <laughs> lots, through, of, lots of wtfs in the headlines yeah. and stuff. well rotten tomatoes through the roof i think it's incredibly fresh like in yeah. the, in the 90s percentage yeah. but then when you get over to things like metacritic and and mm-hmm. more aggregations from the populace we're closer to like a 60 percent approval yeah. rating that yeah. it well it's a challenge and it's it's not something that everybody's going to be prepared for and it's not something there there are there are walls there are barriers that are there that if you're not willing to push through them then you could really it, it's a challenging film it's yeah. you know netflix says it's it's cerebral and i'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal saying well i i feel like i understood it and you mm-hmm. didn't because i've already admitted that there are things like there have been mental barriers for me to, yeah. to get into it myself and i don't think there is like a right or wrong way to understand it. i think the most beautiful thing is that you know you take away what you bring to it, like how far you're willing to, you know, it, it for me, like the great, the great works of art that have inspired me are the ones that they'll, the, the closest they'll get you, get to you is, is halfway. You've got to lean in the rest of the way. You've got to engage. And for me, maybe what art is, is that dialogue, that process between you and the piece of art, right? Because everybody sitting in that theater is engaging in a slightly different way. You know, um, maybe they had like a really bad day and they just were really affected by a particular scene in a film that maybe wouldn't have hit them that way two days prior. Like maybe something happened in their life that allowed them to really connect to this character, which is why you can watch the same film multiple times in your life. And then when you see it again, it's it seems totally different. It's like in 12 Monkeys when they go to see the movie and I can't remember which movie, but he said, you know, Every time I see it, it's it's like a completely different movie. But, you know, the movie hasn't changed. I have. And that's why I think you know, I wanted to come back to Upstream Color. You know, it's a, it's a couple years, you know, since it came out. But, you know, um, 
I, I just would love for, for people to keep seeing it. And hopefully it does similar things for others that it has done for me, like inspire you to think, maybe ask more of your movie watching experience. Like maybe I haven't been seeing nearly enough of what this medium is capable of. You know, Avengers is cool and everything, but man, that's really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? It's not even the tip. It's like a bit of vapor floating around near the tip, you know, <laughs> and it vapor at best. For me, it's been incredibly exhilarating to to realize just what's possible mm-hmm. from the, you can't even put it into into a category of just like independent film, just just thinking about it more of like what what cinema is capable of and you know coming to these conclusions just from the experience of watching it while also having the emotional reactions to it and and it's really it's really an incredible experience to watch and i hope that i i hope that it inspires me to keep on that track of trying different things and and being willing to work a little bit harder at what i'm putting into my eyes and into my brain and into my ears instead of just well, that showed up on Netflix. I recognize it because I know that it was in theaters and okay, fine. It's above 60%. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I put on deep blue sea the other day mm-hmm. and I was like, I know better than this. I know. What's that the one I'm- like his, his Samuel, Sam Jackson's being like, we're not going to die. Like, we're going to anymore. We're just before he gets eaten by the shark. Yeah. I remember what it was. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's, yeah. The success of that movie hinges on that, that one 10 second scene that you can get just as much pleasure watching it on YouTube as you can from sitting through the other, 89 minutes of the film or, or whatever it is but yeah I've, I've taken it as a challenge to myself of, of not just dismissing something because i don't recognize it yeah, because you're not good. going to you're not going to discover new things you're just going to keep feeding yourself the same thing yes. and, and you miss out on the whole potential experience of what this this art form is capable of yeah. and people forget everything that they've experienced in life at one point was foreign and totally new you know, when you're a child, your brain does the most growing that it will do in your entire life in the first few years. Why? Everything's new. And every challenge forces the brain to adapt, forces the brain to, like, form new connections. And that, th- that doesn't have to stop as you age. But it's just like, yeah, expose yourself to new things. Don't be afraid. What's the, I don't know when people are afraid to watch a movie or when they say something like, that's not my type or that's not my thing. Stop having a type. Stop having a thing. That's boring. You only live once. Watch something new. Like, find, then you have, oh, now I've got more than one type. Great. Like, you know, it's, it's silly to, to put things in boxes. Especially when it comes to you know, your own experience of the yeah. world. Like, why, yeah. why, why forge that path for yourself? Like, you don't have to move in one direction. You yeah. have the other 359 degrees that you can move in at any given time. So, like, you don't, you don't have to stay on that same path. Yeah. You've got me all fired up now. And I'm, I don't want to go watch a whole bunch of well, independent yeah. films and things I've never seen before. I'm glad. I mean, that's, that's what I – like, I love independent cinema. Like, at most, 90% of what I watch, like, I'll usually – like, I'm always checking the independent section first. And, like, you know, I want to see stuff about people. So, I mean, are there, like, are there more, like, particular things you wanted to ask, like, specifically about Upstream Color? I know we've, we've gone around uh, – and I, I think it's been – it's important to talk about, like – how it, what its overall effects have been, but are, are there specific things you wanted to get in that you'll feel like, man, that guy just whirled and whirled around me? Like, <laughs> no, it's, it, I, I believe in the organic nature of yeah. conversation and the, you know, the guideposts that I have are generally like narratively, let's talk about this. But, yeah. you know, f- for, for me, the experience of watching the movie was about, 
learning a different language or mm-hmm. you know seeing a new color even if it came from upstream mm-hmm. um or downstream because it came upstream to me yeah it formed ultimately upstream but yeah yeah but yeah mm-hmm. um for for me my natural tendency is plot point analyze plot point analyze plot point analyze yeah and this is a really great way of breaking out of that mold mm-hmm. and and thinking and talking about really what what cinema is what film is what yeah. what this whole medium has the potential to be yeah and it's incredible that that's all happened because some guy got fifty thousand dollars and you know, brought to life a really genuine expression of of what he wanted to do it's so boundless i mean what, what what's what we can do with cinema like it's i mean you if you look at like the history of experimental film like all these things people have done like taking one like a filmmaker named chris snow made a film called wavelengths which is just the camera on a tripod slowly zooming in to a painting on the wall across the room for an hour and it's it's excruciating, but it's also <laughs> but it's also like really illuminating. Where it's like it's meditative, right? And um, you know, we we are so used to just everything in our world is just visual noise, visual stimuli. Like oh, okay, there's that, there's that. We don't even think about doors because we see doors so often. But like you know, Georgia O'Keeffe was an artist who like you know constantly drew like doors. Like she was obsessed with the door. It's like so many different ways to look at a door. And so in wavelength, the moving in towards the painting, by the time you get there, like it's like so suspenseful. Like the last five minutes of that film are intense because you're in this rhythm of like this slow zoom. And if if you can discipline yourself to not dart around the room during it if you could just stay with it uh, it's it's you know it's it's incredible right and but a lot of people would dismiss something like that is well that takes no talent etc etc like you just put the camera on a tripod and slowly zoom it's not so much about the talent it's about like the voice it's about like the vision and like a decision that's something that i've been coming to try to overcome is just the the concept of casting judgment on something by calling it pretentious right because that's a word that came up quite a few times in reviews of right of upstream color is that it's it's pretentious and what do and, people mean when they say that sometimes you know what i mean like how is it pretend like people sometimes just throw that word around too yeah i think it's you know i, I don't want to necessarily take the the well you know the the kids are bullying you because they're jealous of you like right, I, right. I think that sometimes that's that's bullshit and, yeah you know, but it is, it is like, sometimes they're just assholes. You know, it could just be a shorthand of, I didn't really, I didn't put enough into it. So I didn't get anything out of it. Or I, I wasn't in the mood to be challenged or I wasn't prepared to, to have this experience or maybe this wasn't the right time, Mm -hmm. but like pretentious is such a, it's such a throwaway term that it's just, I have decided like you are the, it's the new meh. (laughs) Yeah, pretentious and hipster are two words that just need to be retired from. Yeah. But it, you know, what, like, exactly, like you said, what does that word even mean at this point? Like, yeah. if you look at something, decide that it's, it's what, it's trying too hard? Mm-hmm. Like, it's trying to express itself? In, in what world is that a bad thing? I know, like, right? It's, oh, this film is trying to break out of the mold of yeah. what movies are capable of. Yeah. Like, so celebrate that, even if it's yeah. not perfect. Like, I was. I'm working right now on migrating at like all of the, all of the movie reviews that I've written. I want to have them all on the Netflix page. So this is going back to 2009. Mm-hmm. And I, the one that I, that I moved over today was the one for a scanner darkly where I read the review. I still haven't seen it. God, I want really? to see it. Yeah. 
I don't know why. I don't know you, (laughs) so I don't know why I'm shocked to to find out that you haven't seen it. I'm waiting for that to show up in your like your movie of the day, Scanner Darkly. I love Richard Linklater, so it's one of the few films of his I haven't seen. But yeah, continue. So reading that review, I I'm I'm quite dismissive of the movie overall. Like there are bits and parts that I like, but then it was like, well, it's six years later. It's Mm -hmm. totally fine for me to come back to this and Mm -hmm. try to appreciate in a different way Mm -hmm. and be less of a dick about trying to sound, trying to sound smart when I'm, when I'm writing about it. So yeah, I know just, Let's retire the word pretentious. I yeah. guess that's what I'm coming back to. Like, yeah. why, why would anybody spend any amount of effort trying to stifle what is a genuine creative effort? Well, Meanwhile, this is a week after I just spent an hour and a half shitting on practical magic, so I can't really well, hold myself above that. We're training ourselves, right? We're training. Is that the one with Reese, Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo? No. No, which, which that's practical uh, magic. What is that? Just like heaven. Oh God, yeah. No, uh, practical magic is Sandra Bullock oh, that's right. and yeah, yeah. Nicole Kidman as yep. witches. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, it's like we're we're training ourselves into like this is right way to make a movie. This is the wrong way, and this is the uh, you know whatever pretentious way, right? Which is like try, uh, like you said, trying too hard, or like I hate when people say like it's trying too hard. Like you, ugh. <laughs> that's my that's my reaction is it just like uh, like what are we, what do you want right now you know what i mean it's like <laughs> it's like if you don't want to watch that film if 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 the film is a failure because it's not like what you're used to watching go watch what you're used to watching why does this have to be that also it's like hollywood survives by making all of its audience members do the heavy lifting it's like we'll just create this sludge and will convince you that it's delicious and you'll just bend over backwards to make sure everyone else is eating it so you don't feel so lonely eating your sludge. You know what I mean? It's also kind of like how so many like huge schools of thought propagate, right? It's like guilt and then it's like, well, oh, my friends are doing it. If I don't do it, I'll be lonely. If I make other people do it, I'll be even less lonely. And it's like, it, it, that's where the, the idea of penetrating the culture becomes so important because I don't want to let Hollywood determine the culture. I don't want it to be like, I hate thinking of things in terms of seasons, like, oh, it's awards season now. I kind of think like a a friend of mine once referred to awards culture as a disease. And I really agree with it. It's like this, it's like a, you know, you know, that doesn't mean I wasn't like ecstatic to have my film, you know, win the jury prize at the festival, but I didn't do it to win a jury prize at the festival. And I didn't, it wouldn't, it didn't change what I thought of the film or what I thought of the value of the film, what it did do is allow more people to see it. What it did do is allow my crew and stuff to, to even feel more like acknowledged, you know, because of the hard work that they put in. And, um, but for me, all I care about is as many people as possible seeing this, seeing the work so that it can then again, live beyond me. Um, but I mean, Woody Allen once said about award shows, and I love this quote, he's like, if you're going, because he, he doesn't go to them, if you're going to accept when someone says you deserve an award, then you have to accept when they say that you don't. And the idea being, other people shouldn't be having the power to determine the worth of what you're doing. You determine it. When you put your name on it, like, if I've put my name on something, I'm cool. If I put my name on it, put it out there, you better believe, like, I, I'm, the doubts are gone now. Like, I don't put it out with doubts it goes out when i consider it to be 
exactly what it needed to be. So anything else that happens is out of my control. If you loved it, amazing. Why did you love it? Tell me what you liked about it. If you didn't love it, amazing. Why didn't you like it? Like, I'm happy with it. I'm cool with it, right? So it's like, if you know yourself, you're kind of almost impervious to like people slagging you, you know, or, or even complimenting you. You're just appreciative of it. You know, but again, it's like not judging people. Don't judge them because they said something nice to you either. And don't like do something just to get praise, right? And I think when Shane Carruth made Upstream Color, it wasn't to prove anything to anyone else, just to himself. Like, okay, I can make a movie. I don't need to go to board meetings for years and try to convince someone to give me money. I'll just do it my own way. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> Doesn't mean it will always work, but you won't know until you do it, right? So... Like the main thing I would ask you, I'll ask, I would ask anyone is like, how did it make you feel? You know what I mean? Like, how did the film make you feel? Well, I felt, I felt challenged Yeah. in that, uh, I had to, I had to work mm -hmm. I often. Like I, I, I take notes when I watch movies, when I'm going to be discussing them or if I'm going to be writing about them just to have these kind of landmarks of thoughts to kind of remind myself to come back to it. And for this one, more than any other, I was writing down just what I was seeing mm -hmm. and just documenting it and trying to figure out, like, yeah. I, I know I'm going to need to come back to this to try and figure it out. So I wasn't I wasn't having those snaps of analysis as yeah. I was going. It was, okay, that just happened. Now, what the hell? Like, there were a lot of question marks on my notes. Mm -hmm. And that was exciting. That was exhilarating because it didn't feel... I'm going to use the word that I just criticized, but it didn't feel pretentious. Like mm -hmm. it was, it didn't feel like it was, I know what the answers are and I'm withholding them no, exactly. for the sake of frustrating you exactly. and taking you on this journey. Yeah. It felt more genuine than that. Absolutely. And it felt like if I was going to get something from it, then I was going to have to do more of the heavy lifting than I was used to. I was going to have to, I was going to have to work for it. Yeah. And so I, you know, I felt, I felt challenged and I felt kind of like, whoa, like, you know what, you know what upstream color, I accept yeah. your challenge and we're going to talk about this. And so I loved that. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt, I felt really just happy that this movie exists mm -hmm. and that, and to, to, to know that this, this, creative energy exists and this genuine yeah. this genuine creative energy is out there in the world and people are just making things like this happen um and i also felt you know confused and a little frustrated with parts of it and you know as, as i mentioned before like the things with the sampler but it's it's nice to have a different kind of conversation and to to because that's that's really what I always say that this this whole Netflix project is the reason that I want to talk about things that are on Netflix is because I want at any point for anybody to be able to engage in the same conversation. Mm -hmm. And while it may be limiting to, you know, if somebody in Saudi Arabia wants to listen, first of all, they're going to have to overcome a language barrier to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is specifically the content available on Canadian Netflix. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's 32 million people that if they have access to this, they can participate in the same conversation. Yeah. And I believe in the power of culture to be a common language between people and to, to open them up to talking about things and having different thoughts and different ideas and different inspirations. Mm -hmm. So if this movie encapsulated that into like that, that feeling I had it in a more genuine way than I keep coming back to that word, but I, I had, that's the first time I've ever had that feeling while watching something yeah. for myself. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, to I mean, to your credit, I don't feel like I'm talking to someone who's only seen this film once. Um, so, I mean, it's you've clearly like engaged with it, and like you were willing to like get dirty, right? Like to get in there. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've uh, having you know connected online with a lot of the people involved in the project and stuff like that, and seeing the other things that they're working on. Like, there's a real like f- kind of familial bond that you feel with like independent filmmakers, right? And like. In the indie world, what what ultimately gets your film noticed is originality of concept, not cast, not like special effects budget. That's what fin- cinema used to be all about, even in the mainstream, right? I mean, Kubrick didn't make Space Odyssey because he wanted to do the best special effects. He just wanted to plunge you into outer space. And he also depicted a moon landing before there was one, accurately. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like... He influenced, like, scientific development with the film and stuff. I mean, that's the kind of ambition that I am inspired by. I mean, if you're going to try to do something like that, even if it doesn't come out the way you planned, if that's your goal, I'll get behind you. Like, I will be there. And I will, like, tell it. That's why for, like, Upstream Color, I've I've almost taken on, like, an ambassador role for the film. Like, since it came out, like, I've just been, like, wearing the the quote-unquote T-shirt of upstream color like and uh not just for the film itself but like just for for cinema like just as a it's a upstream color for me is a reminder and that's why i like to talk about it that's why i chose to talk about it today it's a reminder um even if i haven't watched it in a while like it's been you know many months since i last watched it but it's it won't leave my head it's always floating around up there um, and I know when I watch it again, I'll like, I'll connect to it differently. And, uh, and that's beautiful. It's like I said, it's like, it's like, you know, you have a favorite album and there are certain things like I have one, there's one film like lost in translation, you know, which I watch sometimes once a week. Like I just go through spurts with it, but it's just, it gives me a feeling that nothing else gives me like, and if, if I need that itch scratched, that's going to do it. And for me, it, it's like an album. So when when Shane Carruth said that, I was like, oh, I was thinking about how many of films in my life kind of work that way for me, where I just like I can I can play it in my head right now, but that's not the same as watching it. So I'll sit in front of it and I'll, and I'll watch it. And it's like putting on my favorite album, and it just brings back those feelings, you know, if they've gotten muddled or I just need a reminder. And so Upstream Color is, is, you know, it's a great reminder of, uh, of so many things, but that it's still possible to do something really great and have it get out there. So, but, uh, but no, it's great. Like, I love talking about film. I'm, I'm glad that you, that you enjoyed the film. And it, it's not really so much about did you like it or did you not like it? Like, I, that's why I asked you, how did it make you feel? Right. right. And, um, but it's inside you now. And I, I'm, I'm, for better or worse, it's not leaving. And I can promise you that, like, the film, like the worms, is now inside you. Right, and that's so, so appropriate that, yeah. you know, even though the cycle of the worms is broken, like, it's, like, like the worms in the film, the the, the movie leaves a trace yeah. of its, well, fuck, I watched it five days ago, I don't know if it's still going to be with me, like, <laughs> ten days later, but, yeah. or ten years down the line, but I get the feeling that it's it's going to leave a trace of itself by experiencing something new. There's no way that my understanding of the medium hasn't changed. Yeah. Like it, it has to have, even if it's just a little extra blip yeah. over on this side, then it is, 
it, it because it's so different, it, it can't be disposable. Exactly. It's in there. It's doing something. I should take a moment just because I'm I'm going to share this podcast with uh, Andrew Sensenig um, and Carolyn King and Frank Mosley, who are in the film. Carolyn King and Frank Mosley play the other sampled couple that they they have. Uh, she's a red the red haired girl and yeah, you see yeah. the beard. So um, they're also both independent filmmakers, you know. And so I want you know just to say you know a, a shout out to them and I hope if you've listened to it and you've and you've made it through my uh, lattice work of, that I've spun around uh, around here that uh, you know just to say Andrew Sensenig you know I'm very excited to work with you and I'm very I'm excited to work with all three of you you know hopefully at some point and uh, for me I hope this conversation's been even just a, a, a hint of of the love letter to the film as well that that the film is as a love letter to cinema you know I may end up cutting this just because I may regret trying to you know make an amorphous shape fit into a square peg uh-huh. or a square hole but um the way that netflix works it obviously does invite you to uh rate a movie mm-hmm. after after you uh after you watch it and while this movie does kind of defy good bad i just want to uh you know remind ourselves what the what the official star ratings mean according to netflix so five stars has loved it four stars really liked it three stars is liked it two stars didn't like it and one star hated it mm-hmm. so uh I, I understand if you can if, if you may choose to not answer the second part of the question but is there uh what does this movie get in your personal netflix profile and then is there an mvp for you that kind of shines from the movie I understand if you're like not wanting to step on somebody by like I'm going to work with you, but I liked you better. But right, um, for star rating, it would be for me a five star rating. The, the five stars because um, it, you know not because it's like because it's perfect because uh, the idea of perfect means that this film failed to fill a role that it was supposed to fill based on some other criteria, right? For me, the film is it was like discovering like a new new country, right? So that fifth star is all about the newness right the first four stars are just for like i mean it's beautifully made i mean it, it it's uh, it just it's it's exquisitely executed and but you know for me a film doesn't often get that fifth star but it, it usually gets the fifth star if it's taken me to a place that i have not been and a place worthy of going um but yeah, I mean, I would love to work with each, you know, of the people in the film. But I will say, you know, regarding Andrew Sensenig, I mean, it all started with I wrote one tweet after seeing the film for the first time. And I, I commented in him on the presence that he had in the film, which was amazing for, for a, a role that had almost no dialogue. And he does had, he speak at he, any point? Only one line really like at the farm when he's talking to that guy about the pigs. Right. Um, but other than that, it's it's a very visual performance, and it's he's got an incredible you know incredible expressive face, right? And he he nailed it. I mean, and he needed to nail it because if he didn't, like none of this would have really worked, right? And um, so yeah, I mean, it, it all started with one tweet, and we've been like you know pen pals ever since, you know, talking about our upcoming project and stuff. And you know, he's starring in this this series for Sony right now called Powers. I don't know if you've heard of it on the PlayStation Network, but um, another streaming service, right? But um, so no, it's just been it's been really cool. I've just met some really great people just because I saw this film too, right? And because of social media and so stuff like like what you're doing with the podcast like is great too right because like you said it's like gets a conversation started and um 
Got to spread those worms. Yeah, exactly. For myself, I, I, it's currently sitting in my Netflix profile as four stars, mm-hmm. but you've made a really compelling argument for... The for, coveted fifth. For that coveted fifth. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go back and change it to five stars because, like yeah. you said, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction to the kind of the air quotes quality of the movie was four stars but there is that that extra something that in kind of looking internally afterwards i realized that it it did it was more effective than i realized and it's it's partially come out of this conversation that i've realized how important it is and is likely going to be for me yeah moving forward which is really exciting that's cool kind of scary but also wonderful and um, I also want to see that movie that Chris is editing, the one that I guess Shane Carruth was, like, in the first quarter of the movie, she's seen working oh, okay. on a movie. Do you know about it? Do you know the story behind I, this? I only know that it's a movie that Shane Carruth was working on and then stopped to yeah. make Upstream Color. Well, he didn't stop it to make Upstream Color. This was in that nine-year period. He was trying to make this film called Atopiary, which was about kids who build these, like, robotic creatures. Sounds like a pretty awesome idea from the guy who did Primer. but And he was just in meeting after meeting after meeting. And he said after a while, he felt like, I might as well just continue being a software engineer. If this is what filmmaking is in Hollywood, just sitting at a desk trying to pitch my idea over and over and over again, and nobody was biting. So what you see in Upstream Color is like rough concept work from that film. And yeah. he said that was like one of the biggest devastating uh, you know turnouts in his life that 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 happened with that film but he he said he'll he'll never make it like he he said because he spent so much time in traction with it he doesn't think he can connect to it again right but um, which feels like such a shame that like all we get is this glimpse of this stunningly just this visually stunning potential scrap of what I would love to see but the glimpse came within upstream color which would not have existed if he had finished a topiary. So Fair there's enough. that too. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm not asking to rewrite history. No. It's just there's there's that pang as well yeah. with that extra that extra piece of information that totally. here's something that could have happened. Uh, my MVP is going to Amy Simetz. Oh yeah. The Chris, the 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 lead of the movie. There's no arguing that she I mean, she's the glue of the whole film, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. And she she's the one who kind of inclines me but like you said the the person you watched it with or showed it to Mm -hmm. really struggled with emotionally connecting but she managed to be distant yeah but also like even even if you don't feel empathy you're feeling sympathy for what she's going through but that probably says more about me than the film itself anyway but yeah yeah it was like she, she really is the crux of the whole thing and does mm-hmm. such an incredible job of holding it together. Yeah. And the the reaction I had at first was like, oh, man, she's worth way more than $50,000 for this movie. And I'm like, come on, like you're better. <laughs> like, don't think that way. Mm-hmm. But she does this incredible job. And one little – it's got nothing to do with her, I don't think. But the one little just glimpse of something that I loved about her character was the haircut that mm-hmm. she gets partway through mm-hmm. where suddenly she has this kind of short, yeah. almost pixie-ish, but like, you know, I, I need to just make a physical change. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this little change that, yeah. that does such a great job of showing kind of this, this is my new life that I'm trying to make yeah. after this violation that's happened to me that I don't even understand what's happening. 
and still like in this in this vulnerable almost abused state that's yeah. when this this man gravitates towards her regardless of whether or not it's caused by two pigs falling in love totally i mean th- she makes you forget that it's a performance at all and that's like the hallmark of like the great performances right like you don't even think of this as acting because you're so caught up in like what what is going on with like what but what she's going through and the way she's like uh, i mean when you consider the nature of the film and how you know how strange it is and stuff like to be able to play that character without a safety net of any kind like of that this is not like anything else that's ever been made and to do it so it seemingly effortlessly like yeah and some of the in retrospect some of the just the nuance to it like after you understand what's happening you realize how powerful it is what she was doing before or even kind of reading analysis of the movie and realizing what's going on like when she's swimming mm-hmm. at the end not mm-hmm. the not the first swimming scene but the second one where she's every time she comes up from this from this experience of you know diving down getting the rocks coming back up and reciting a line from Walden and then mm-hmm. going back down and doing it again and realizing afterwards from reading somebody else's article that that's her kind of putting herself into a similar uh, fugue state like yeah. a similar state to what she was in before yep. but also being in control of it and putting herself into it so being more empowered and yes. you get that kind of almost it's it's like a smirk that's happening underneath the surface of her face yeah where it's this it's hypnosis but it's self-driven and it's empowering and it's helping her move towards reclaiming her own identity mm-hmm. and you get that that's a really good point while she's just like bursting out of the water yeah. and just like it's a facial expression that's yeah. all it is because otherwise like the way she's reciting the text is it's very straight it's very she's reciting a text yeah but you know and i don't think that i'm putting that on after the fact no i, I don't think, that, think so at all i think that it's there and i mm-hmm. think that that's incredibly amazing that even in my own memory i can go back and appreciate that performance even more totally all right well i'm i'm really thrilled to have had you on to to have this conversation and to have had you introduce this movie to me um i can't thank you enough for that because it it wasn't even on my list yep and my list is lengthy and is filled with stuff that i'm never actually going to watch and it's filled with lots of good intentions so so thank you very much for that. Pleasure. I, is there is there anything that you uh, I mean this this is going to go out? Is there anything that you'd like people to know about? Is there any way that people kind of track your projects? Is there you know how can people how can people find you? Um, you can uh, well I have work up on my Vimeo page currently. So I mean you can go to. Um, the actual link thing is vimeo.com slash liminal arts but you can if if you you want a link i'll put it on uh, the the episode notes so yep but yeah so no i've got uh, the golden hour is uh in its entirety up on vimeo so is uh she has divided me basically like i'm i'm completing right now a trilogy of three short films about memory um the first one is called she has divided me and it's sort of the story of a mother and son sort of uh, that bond that particular bond the golden hour focuses on two lovers and glass my newest one uh, is the brings things back to motherhood and the mother and daughter bond this time but this is a science fiction film and um, and we've built like a very 
you know, really cool set uh, in east east of the city that we've been shooting up in. And uh, the film will be the plan is for it to be in the can by the end of the year. Um, and when that's complete, I'm going to you know release them all together again, like as a one piece. I'll have a screening here in London at the Highland, but uh, but then it's a feature. So this is my last short that I'm working on now. Are you on Twitter? Are you? Oh yeah, Twitter, Facebook, always, always under Jason R. Gray. So if you search me out on Google that way, like all that stuff will come up as well. Um, I do have a website, liminal-arts.com, but it's I'm building a new site right now. So basically, it's just a a hub to link you to all my other sites like Vimeo, Facebook, Twitter, and such. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank you so much for for coming on, for agreeing to do this, for for sharing your insight and your interesting but hopefully not unique experience of of watching this movie and and wanting the truly creative to get out there. My pleasure, and I hope that it does. When people listen to the podcast, it does the same thing for other people that that me recommending the film you know has done for you as well. And hopefully, our conversation like inspires people. Like, whoa, I might need to check this out based on what's going on in my ears right now. Um, so yeah, no, I'd uh, yeah, happy to talk talk film with you anytime. Amazing. All right, thanks again. Thank you. That's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms, starting with Facebook at facebook.com slash netflixpodcast. Over on Tumblr, you can find us at netflixpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Twitter at netflixpod, where you can also so find me at Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. A big thank you is owed to Zach Moore for creating the theme music. As well, Zach, this is your official thank you for being a patron of our newly minted Patreon campaign. If you want to be like Zach and have your name read out loud on the podcast, head on over to Patreon and pledge your support for Netflix. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and special thanks are owed for this week's episode to Caroline Deason for graciously providing the space to record. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog, because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet.